Have you ever had a disagreement with someone over a matter where you're voicing your opinion, but your counterpart or the other individual is voicing their opinion on opinion as well? Well, you know, Scripture does have absolutes contained within its pages. But Scripture also speaks of freedom of conscience. We don't have to agree on everything. But it is good that we come together as the people of God, as brothers and sisters, and sharpen each other in the common faith that God has given each one of us. We're, we're going to learn a lot a bit, a lot a bit, a lot about the conscience today, a lot about conviction, and a lot about the truth that you can have your own conviction and someone else can have theirs, and both of you are still acceptable before God. In my last sermon, I covered my understanding of the foundation of our liberty in Christ. Today we will be speaking about differences that we hold as Christians and how we should handle these differences that at times really seem to get on our nerves. (laughs) We can at times think to ourselves, this guy or this girl, they just don't get it. Why doesn't my brother or my sister see a certain topic, for example, of theology in the same way that I see it? It's clear in the pages of Scripture. What's the problem here? Well, the answer is, the answer is that we have had different life histories. And within those life histories, we have had different life experiences that give us the convictions that we possess. And sometimes these convictions we hold very tight to. I must tell you that when Mary and I were first married, you know, we thought we had it all figured out, right? We're young, we're Christian, we're going to conquer the world, we're going to have a family, we're just going to do everything right, right? <clears throat> but we soon found out that we did so many things differently. <clears throat> From washing the dishes to handling finances, we had some very different views. Then, <laughs> that's not all. When we had children, we discovered that our convictions in regard to disciplining our children were quite different. And you got to wonder, why is this? These differences had come as a result of how we were raised. That may be news to you, but the differences came as a result of the way we were raised. You see, our birth families were very different. When it came to disciplining children, Mary's family was way over on this side (laughs) of the spectrum, and my family was way over on the other side of that spectrum. Now, neither home was graced with Christian principles, although Mary's family was Catholic, and so they certainly knew of Christian principles. However, neither of us can say that biblical principles were practiced in our birth homes. They just weren't. Thus, excuse me, we, ca- we came to the conclusion that we best leave the convictions of our birth homes behind and look to the principles found in Scripture to help in developing our home. 
As we come back to Romans 14 and the debate over food and days, I want to cover a few principles found in Scripture that need to be addressed when studying such a topic. But first, I want to read through the chapter to get the full context. This is one of those chapters where you read a couple verses and you say, oh, okay, I got it. And then you read some more, oh, I didn't know he was going to add that. And then a few more verses, oh, there's that as well. And that's certainly what what Paul does in chapter 14, but it's a discourse. It's a discourse on the conscience. It's a discourse on the convictions of man. It's a discourse on where these convictions come from and why you and I should be sensitive to one another and appreciate the convictions that we each have. So in verse 1, Paul says this. He says... Accept the one who is weak in faith, without quarreling or disputable manners. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything, but must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. He's accepted both. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? Or you know what? Who are you to disagree with God? If he's going to accept both, why don't we accept both? To their own master, continuing in verse 4, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Verse 5, one person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. For they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord. And gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, emphasis here, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living, or Lord of all. You then, verse 10, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God, so that each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in and of itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. 
Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. So there we have it, Paul's discourse on food and days, our uh, conviction about food and days, Uh, how we deal with the conscience in regard to days and food. So as we move into this chapter and try to understand it, we will see that the Lord has given each one liberty of conscience. Isn't that freeing just to hear? Certainly we don't use our liberty for vice to do the things we know are not approved by God, but we do have liberty to do so much. He has given us this liberty, this freedom that we have. So he has given us, each one, liberty of conscience in certain things, but certainly not all things. For example, in regard to baptism, we do not see any wiggle room in the scripture. Those who believe were commanded to be baptized. But the mode and time of baptism has been debated for almost 1,900 years. It's an intramural discussion where some believe you, you need to be a believer before you're baptized. Others believe, no, you're bringing the child into the covenant by baptizing the child. This is an intramural debate. We as Christians should not be argumentative over modes of baptism. Yes, we can argue our point and attempt to sharpen each other's understanding of Scripture. This is what we must do. But if we land on a different side than our brother or sister, this should not be a means to break fellowship with one another. Remember, as Paul said to the church in Colossae, you know, love is our very foundation And we should do everything that we do based upon the love that we have first towards God in obeying his commands and then towards one another, being sensitive to each other. We know that baptism does not save an individual, but is a public testimony confirming one's belief in Christ before others. And it is a command given by God. Thus, I would be hesitant to find understanding if an individual refused to be baptized with a clear command that we find in Scripture. 
But there are Christian sects who believe you don't have to be baptized. <coughs> now, to understand Paul's thrust in this chapter, we need, to, we need not go any farther than the first few verses. Please look with me at verses 1 through 4 to start us off here. Paul says this, uh, except the one whose faith is weak. Okay, the command given here is to accept the one who is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything does not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Isn't that interesting? We, we think that we have to be persuasive at times and we have to change the minds of others because their convictions aren't like ours. This is simply not true. In verse 1, Paul does not waste any time with his command in regard to the weak person or the weak in faith person. He merely says, accept them. Accept them. If they just want to eat vegetables, that's okay. If you want to be a carnivore, that's okay. He merely says, accept the person. However, we know that this is not always heated. Probably seldom ever heated. The carnivore or the one who eats meat may tend to look down his nose at the person who eats only vegetables because <laughs> that's just a bit weird. It's ridiculous. And for a man, it certainly isn't very manly. Right? Eat vegetables as a man? Come on. What kind of man are you? Some would say, right? You know, the vegetarian, <clears throat> an extension of this thought, the vegetarian is tied to, you know, those vegans. You know, those vegan people. And the vegans are tied to the environmentalist. The environmentalists are tied to the tree huggers. The tree huggers are tied to the global warmers. And the global warmers are tied to the globalists who want to control all of us. There's a spectrum on this. Uh, there, there's, there's a group on this side of the spectrum. And thus, the individual who has the freedom to eat anything at times will pass judgment upon those who, because of conscience, do not eat all things that Scripture gives them the freedom to eat. But God says he accepts them. So we must in turn accept them as well. And likewise, the weak person will tend to voice his concerns by saying something like this. Well, the individual who eats all things, you know, they tend to eat those poor animals. And those who eat those poor animals have guns to kill those poor animals. And those who have guns to kill those poor animals probably are conservative. And those who are conservative probably voted for Donald Trump. 
So we have the other side of the spectrum, right? Without people trying to come together and understand one another, which is what we need to do in the body of Christ. At the foundation of all we do is love for one another. We seek to understand. We don't seek to uh, um, condemn or contend with our brothers or sisters. We seek to understand one another. Our biases usually go much further than just the food we eat, don't they? Needless to say, we have all at one time or the other have played the stereotyper, right? Because of how a person eats, how they look, or how they are associated, or who they are associated with, among other things, that we tend to pass judgment for. However, Paul says that we are to merely accept the individual. But why should we accept them? Our answer is found in verse 3. We accept the individual because God has accepted the individual. Because God has accepted them. And God has given us a command to accept them as well. So we accept each other. No matter where, what the, where we are on the spectrum, we seek to understand. And simply put, we accept one another. There's an old song by, by a group called Love Song in the 70s. Anyone heard of Love Song? They were part of the Jesus movement. A big group down in Southern California, or a group down in Southern California. Well, there, there's one part, uh, that there's, there's a song called Little Country Church on the Edge of Town. Little Country Church. And it almost makes me want to weep because all people are coming there to this little country church. That, that, that they don't all look the same. They don't all dress the same. Some may have tattoos. Some may have rings in their nose. Some may have rings in their ears. And someplace else. But, but there's a place in the song that says, <clears throat> long hair, short hair, coats, and ties. Referring to the people that come. People coming with no shoes on. And there's not a guard at the door saying, don't come in, put your shoes on. No. No, they're accepting of all people. Obviously, when we come to Christ, there's work that Christ needs to do. And, and there's, there's work that he needs to do with every individual that comes past the threshold into church. Even us. Right? We cannot have the attitude that we have arrived. We have not. We're in the sa- same but just trying to row upstream, right? Trying to seek out God. Like Bodhi Bakum says, I'm just a beggar trying to show others where to find bread. Right? That's where we're at. We're all in the same condition. There's none righteous, no, not one for all, fall short of the glory of God. We accept the individual. Because God has accepted the individual, plain and simple, nothing out of it. Let's move on here and talk about why God would call a person weak in faith because he only eats vegetables. 
Uh, because there is a reason. Why would a person not eat all things when God has said that we can eat all things? And all things are clean in and of themselves. Once again, it comes back to our life experiences. We all know this to be true. Think about this. When you ladies were little girls, ladies were little girls running around in your homes, enjoying your time with your families. Your mother had a huge influence over you. In fact, for most, mothers are the most influential person when we are young. So ladies, back when you were five or thereabouts, and you sat down for dinner, and you noticed that there was never any red meat on the table. Your mother may have said something like the following, Honey, we do not eat red meat because it is bad for your heart. And we want to ensure that we take care of our bodies because our bodies are the temple of God. And thus we should take great care in regard to what we put into them. And through her childhood, this little five-year-old continues to hear this and other things that mom says to her. This is your mother speaking. And so as a child, you salute the flag and do as mom says. Because mother knows best, right? This motherly wisdom is burned into the child's mind throughout childhood, and thus this has become a conviction that the child holds onto with a firm resolve. My my mama, she told me, God, for my heart to eat red meat. I can't eat red meat. And sometimes this comes into our adulthood, right? And we hold on to the same convictions. Like it or not, these are our convictions. And because they are so ingrained within the depths of our being, it is very difficult for us to think any differently. Now the Christian only begins to open the door and change such convictions, if need to be changed, let's say, when he begins to take a harder look at them from a biblical perspective. Oh, okay. Well, Mama told me always never to eat red meat, but, you know, I'm a a Christian now, and God tells me that I should examine everything through the lens of his word. So maybe I'll look up food and what we should eat and what we shouldn't eat. What does God have to say about it? Right? So the Christian only begins to change such convictions when he begins to take a harder look at them from a biblical perspective. We will find that as we draw closer to Christ, as we draw closer to Him, you know, we may be out here with our convictions and our differences, but as we draw closer to Christ, our differences are not as important as they once were. Right? Because we've been given a command by God to seek to understand one another. And so this is what we do. I do. Maybe their conviction is right, mine's wrong. I need to ask questions. For we, we are learning to abide with one another in love, even though we may be different in so many ways. 
There must be a time when our family's values and the convictions that we have come to embrace take a backseat to the revealed will of God for our lives. Right? Right? And I'm I'm not trying to criticize anyone's parents here. Generally, parents are just trying to do the best for their children. I can say I tried to do the best for my children when they were young. I made a lot of mistakes, tons of mistakes. I look back on it, and I can tell my children now who are married, they have children, I can say, I did this, don't do that. (laughs) We would do ourselves a favor in such instances by inquiring and asking questions of the individual rather than digging in and getting into a heated argument because we disagree. Why do we disagree? Why do you see black and I see white? I don't understand what, it's so clear it's white. No, it's so clear because it's black. Well, this is when we come together and we inquire. We should be argumentative. We're Christians. We love one another. We should seek to be understanding. In fact, we may find that when a person opens up the reasoning behind his opinion, that his opinion makes more sense than we thought it did. Oh, I understand. We have asked some questions now, and we have better understanding. So in this Second Timothy text, the focus is to show yourself approved before God. And I want to say, I must have skipped something. Oh yes, I skipped something. Let me let me come back here. Anyway, you will notice that the Bible does not say study your birth family's values with intent to follow them to the best of your ability. No, but the Bible does say this at 2 Timothy 2.15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. Mm-hmm. Now, if, if uh, the approved to God is, uh, if your parents' values are in agreement with the approved to God statement, it's okay. Nothing wrong with it. But present yourselves Approved to God, a workman, workman, worker, I'm sorry, who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. We get in disagreements because we disagree on something. And sometimes we get into these, these hot, hot discussions, which really have no value. Again, we need to ask questions and seek to understand why you see black and I see white. In the Second Timothy text, the focus is to show yourself approved to God, no one else. Thus, our focus should be to look at God's word for the proper response when we have a disagreement with another individual. For example, husbands. I like to pick on husbands. For example, husbands, 
If there is a certain scenario that your wife may become nervous or anxious about, can you think of any, guys? Anything that may come up that your wife may get real anxious about or nervous about? I can. And I'm sure you can too. (laughs) The remedy is not to tell her, you know, that does not make me nervous and it really should not make you nervous either. This is not a response that seeks to understand the needs of your wife. Your wife may be hurting. She's anxious. She's nervous because of something that has come into her comfort zone, come into her space. And you are going to tell her, or I am going to tell her, which I have. Mary, why are you bothered by this? Instead of seeking to understand and ask questions as to why it bothers her so I can do better next time. But this is not a response that seeks to understand the needs of your wife. The Bible tells us just the opposite in 1 Peter. In this chapter, Peter speaks about the duties of the wife to her husband and the husband to the wife. Of the husband, he says this at verse 7. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them, your wives, in an understanding with understanding, giving honor to the wife, giving honor to her as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Who of us wants our prayers to be hindered? But God says, if you are not living or dwelling with your wife in an understanding way, your prayers are hindered husband let's look at this verse closely outside of Adam's relationship with God the marriage relationship was the first that we see between two individuals in the Bible this is where it all started however God made man and women different the first command given to the husband in this text is to dwell with his wife with understanding This command implies that she is different and thus it will take work on the husband's part to determine why she responds differently to the same matter. Right? God, knowing that the man and woman would have different opinions on the same topic, commands the man to show understanding when these differences in opinions arise. That's your duty, men, husbands, Show understanding to your wives. Ask questions. Don't get out the big judgment judgment card and say, well, gosh, this doesn't bother me, and you know, it really shouldn't bother you. Seek to understand why your wife is struggling in such an event or with such a topic. When we seek to understand something, we start with the nature of that something. Right? The, the base, the foundational nature of that something. <clears throat> In this First Peter 3 text, God calls the woman the weaker vessel. <clears throat> Knowing this, that the woman is weaker in her constitution, what it means as a whole, than man is, 
there is a responsibility that the man has to understand this difference that the woman has. So once married, the man goes on, goes on a trek to study his wife and to seek to understand her. Specifically, the emotional makeup that God has given her. Men or women need to know that if there is a period of anxiety, you know, and I've had to grow to understand this. I've been married almost 35 years. I should understand it by now, but I don't quite. Our women need to know that there, if there is a period of anxiety, let's say, for example, we men will come in to provide shade or cover shade or cover for them when they find themselves in this condition. Our duty at this point is to provide them a sense of safety and protection. The man is like a wall around the city. Picture that, a wall, wall, all the old, old cities had walls, right, for protection. The wall is set in place to protect the city from the assault of the enemy. The woman, like the city beyond the wall, is our vulnerable part. And thus we do everything in our power to protect her. So in our Romans 14 text, we see evidence that people are different. We start at the baseline with man and wife, how they're so very different. And I'm not just speaking to the guys here. The ladies need to study their husbands as well because their husbands husbands have weaknesses too. That's why we come together. We're not complete. You know, as God said to Adam in the garden, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him to complete him. Instead of arguing because my brother does not see things my way, my position should be to attempt to understand why his opinions are different and then seek to give him liberty to express his opinion, just as I have the liberty to express my own opinion. You know, we tend to think, well, I'm right, so his opinion doesn't matter. Oh, that's not true. There's been so many times when I have, when I have purged, when I have dug, I have found, wow, there are some kinks in how I see this. And I need to make some modifications here to my belief of this matter. Continuing in Romans 14, uh, let's... Pick up once again at verse 4. And Paul says this. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. Now in this chapter, Paul weighs in heavy on freedom of conscience. When it comes to food... 
The individual has much liberty to eat how he wants. With this said, Paul asks a question. Who are you to judge? Someone else's servant. God has already spoken on the topic and has given man the decision whether he eats only vegetables or he eats all things. Or anything, any combination of the two. God has given the individual the choice, and thus, if we find ourselves arguing with others about this topic, we need to cease doing so. None of us have the corner on health or on what to eat. Some more than others, I must admit. (laughs) I'm on the lower side, the lower understanding of what I should eat. But God has spoken And the issue has been settled. Why? Because it's been settled by God. God has accepted the individual, so we accept the individual. No matter where he's at on that spectrum of food or days, for that matter. Now this does not mean to imply, I'm not implying this, that we eat fast food every meal and snack on cookies, candy bars, and ice cream between meals. I'm not saying that, right? We need to be responsible with this vessel, with this temple that God has given us to bring Him glory. We must remember that we have responsibility to take care of ourselves. Our bodies are His. We have been bought with a price. He dwells in our bodies. And thus, we must be conscientious to take care of them with the utmost care. We, we need to strive for perfection in our caring of our bodies just like anything else. Remember in, in Matthew 5.48, Jesus gave the command. He said, Be ye perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. And yes, translated, it, 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 it talks about completeness making yourself the complete man or the complete woman in Christ. Having him as your standard, as your example, as the one you look to and follow. Some texts are very prescriptive for all, meaning that we do not have liberty to do things differently. However, this text is not one of them. We are at liberty here to follow conscience unless, of course, our declared conscience or what we say about our conscience, our declared conscience violates the clear instruction given in God's word. And of course, just like in everything else, we are the Lord's and thus we should do all things seeking to bring pleasure not to ourselves, not to anyone else, but to him. For whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. In this next section, in chapter 14 of Romans, Paul discusses days and what we should be doing on these different days, these special days these holdover days, these days that were established before we came to Christ. What do we do about these days? 
Should we ever have days that are for ourselves and thus separate from the Lord? Should we have days that just bring attention to ourselves? And we are lavish with gifts. And we are the center of attention. Or should we look at all days as those that we seek to devote our time, devotion, and work to the Lord? Paul addresses this topic at verse 5 of Romans 14. And the text says this. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes a day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. So what is Paul saying here? Well, I must admit, this is a tough one because there are so many differing opinions in regard to days and what we do with days or our holdover days, our BC days. But in my opinion, Paul does not disappoint here. He does give us a grid to follow. Some have said that Paul may be pointing to the Sabbath or at present the Christian Sabbath or what the Bible and we would call the Lord's Day. I would not be one that would embrace that this is speaking of these days. I think he's talking about holdover days. He's talking about festivals, celebrations, fast. Not only in the Jewish culture, but the Gentile culture as well. Simply because the Sabbath is <clears throat> the Sabbath is not part of I'm sorry, the Sabbath is part of the moral law, which has not been abrogated or removed. We still have Ten Commandments and not nine, of which all other laws have their foundation. Therefore, we cannot move the Lord's Day for convenience sake. So I wouldn't hold that position that he's talking about the Lord's Day or Sabbath or the Christian Sabbath. I would see this portion as more dealing with festival days, celebration days, and fast days, and any other days that the Gentiles may have celebrated. Paul dealing with various people from various nations, both Jew and Gentile, or the span of his ministry, would be dealing here with those days and not days that are fixed, such as the Lord's Day. The issue at hand here is, what do we do with these days now that we are Christian? (coughs) Bless you. As Christians, we know that everything is the Lord's, and we are indebted to him to give thanks for all things and to keep him on his throne as king of our hearts each day of the week and not just one. And so knowing this, we now decide what would be best to do with those days that we so cherish, those holdover days that we brought into our Christianity but are not mentioned in Scripture as days that we must set apart from the rest. To bring more understanding to this topic, let's continue reading in Romans 14. At verse 7, Paul says this, 
For none of us lives for ourselves alone. And none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, our living is for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Remember, we're no longer our own. We've been bought with a price. We're His. Verse 9, for this reason, Christ died and returned to life so that He might be the Lord of both the living and the dead. Close quote. In verse 8, I think we have our answer in regard to what we do not only each day of our lives, but what we do with each moment and each breath that we take knowing that every brief moment and every breath is only an extension of God's mercy to you and I. Every moment we are indebted to God for extending our lives. This should give us a good foundation and perspective when considering what we do with these holdover days that Paul is speaking of here. One celebration that touches a lot of nerves. I'll touch a lot of nerves here. (laughs) One celebration that is very popular in Western, uh, our Western culture is the birthday. The birthday. And to some this day is hallowed and must be celebrated. However, it is my opinion that if we are going to set aside such days for celebration, the day must be used as a way of thanking God for the work he has done in bringing this individual who we all love, whose birthday it is, into the world. Otherwise, without God, it is just another pagan holiday that places all emphasis on someone else or something else other than God, which would be a form of idolatry. Now, I'm not saying do not have birthdays. Uh, Please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that if celebrated, we should take the opportunity to thank God for what he has done. My dear wife, When her birthday would come, she would call her mother and thank her for giving her life. That was more important to her than anyone foisting presents upon her. For what reason, I'm still not sure. (laughs) Why do we foist all these presents on people? Tradition! Tradition! If you remember Tevia. (laughs) <laughs> he sings the song better than I do what was, that? What was the movie called? Fiddler on the Roof Fiddler on the Roof, thank you <laughs> Days of Thanksgiving giving, given to God in my opinion are something that we should have more of so that we can be constantly reminded of the grace and mercy that God has shown us Nothing wrong with days of Thanksgiving. You know, we, we like to have days of Thanksgiving as a family just to celebrate what God has done for us. Praise the Lord. And He has given us so much. Given me much more than, than, than I ever imagined. 
<clears throat> but we always must question our intent for what we do. For example, birthdays. Why do we do them? Why do we do them? Where, where is the command in Scripture? Do we have the freedom to celebrate birthdays? I don't think it's a bad thing, but I, I think our intent needs to be different. We need to, be, we need to give thanksgiving to God for what He has done. And not lavish all these presents upon this individual. Pouring all these presents. Give me some more. (laughs) More on this individual. Because guess what? You know, that individual, which is probably one of our children, that individual thinks that they are the center of the universe. Look, it's all about me. All about me. And nothing about anyone else. And these children grow up to be very self-centered. But what is our command, parents? To train our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Baseline. If you, if you want to have a tradition, that's a good one. <laughs> so I'm not saying don't give presents to your children. If that's what you want to do, that's, that's, you know, that's between you and God. But... If you don't want your child to grow up to be a selfish brat who thinks that the state owes them everything, so they get on welfare, you know, and they're eating their cookies or cokes and their hamburgers in their room while on they're on their welfare purchased phone playing their games in their room, never growing up to be a man or a woman. If that's what you want to produce, that's what you will produce. Train your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Baseline. Nothing else really matters if you haven't done that. Thus, when it comes to what we do with days, we must examine our intention. If we belong to the Lord and we have the life of Christ dwelling in us, then like Christ, we will desire to do what? Please, the Father, with the way that we spend our time, no matter what day it is or what day we are celebrating. However, you and I, all of us here, we will have differences because of life experiences that act as compasses for our consciences to follow. I would never fault the mom who said, honey, don't eat red meat. She's just trying to do her best for her child, right? She, she loves her child. She's trying to do her best for her child. <clears throat> If our declared consciences, and I say declared, spoken, confessed, because, you know, we could also use our freedoms for vice. I have the freedom to do anything I want, brother. And you can't tell me any, any different. But that's not true, brother. As soon as you violate the word of God with your freedom, you're walking in sin and no longer faith. 
If our declared consciences do not violate the clear instruction given in the Word of God, we must be given the liberty to express them as we wish. Knowing this, let us not judge our brother for differences that he or she has been given the liberty by God to possess. Paul talks of our duty toward one another, and we do have duties toward one another as a body of Christ. He talks about this in Colossians 3. Verse 12, he says this. Therefore, as the elect of God, the called out ones, the holy ones, the separated ones, the ones that God has taken from society and removed, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you might think about doing. No, it doesn't say that, does it? It says you must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of what? Perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And as it does, you're going to be a fount of living water. People want to spend time with you every time. I'm so edified when I spend time with this person. And as I say that, I can think of people in my past that I just wanted to spend time with because I was spending time with Jesus. They had so much of Christ in them. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Please pray with me.